Hello everyone, this is a personal synthesis podcast. With me today is Dr. Nesh Popovic, the creator of personal synthesis. Good afternoon, Nesh. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Not worrying about anything at the moment. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> I worry a lot and very often. <laughs> okay, so that's something that we'll be talking about today. So hopefully at the end of the session, you will find ways to deal with that. Can you tell us more about today's topic, Nesh? What exactly does anticipatory attitudes refer to? Anticipatory attitude is a slightly unusual name, not something that you would commonly find in this kind of personal development uh, or popular self-help uh, literature. So let me just say a few what we mean by that. The area covers dispositions towards events that are not experienced but anticipated. So sometimes we think about something that we are not experiencing, something because it's happening somewhere else or it will happen in the future. We then imagine and anticipate these events because we don't have direct experience. And that's what we will be talking about today. This attitude can affect our mental state, our performance, and even our health. So it's really important to consider them, and we will talk about three such attitudes. Something that all of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with, worrying, which is characterized by apprehension, and also optimism and pessimism. They are characterized by overly positive or negative attitudes towards those uh, events. So let's start with worrying. Bobby, is that okay? Is that clear? Yeah. Okay, so let's start with worrying. Worrying can be defined as a, an apprehensive reaction to the possibility of an undesirable outcome. It is interesting that it has characteristics of anxiety because uncertainty is evolved. When you worry about something, you're not clear exactly what's going to happen and also fear because worrying uh, usually has an object. Usually you know you worry about something, something concrete. However, the object of worry is always at a space or time distance. So relief from worries through immediate action is not possible, which is why it's very frustrating. Very often we can't do something about what we worry and that's why worrying is so frustrating. So do you often and worry, Bobby. Uh, yes, I like I said, I worry a lot and very often. And is that useful? No, not at all. Sometimes it feels like it's suffocating me and I just can't stop worrying. So can I ask you now, if it's not good and it doesn't make you feel good and it's not helpful, why do you worry? <laughs> good question. <laughs> good, very good question. Uh, I don't know why I worry. It feels like it's stronger than me and I cannot stop. And it's always been this way. Always. So even when you were a child? Yes. Did you have a people around you who worried? Did you pick up that habit from others? Uh, well, yes. I think everybody in my family is worrying a lot. Right, right, right. As a child, you learn to worry from others. And you think, oh, these big people who take care of me, they worry. So it must be a good reason to worry. So I should start worrying too. Yes, but Nesh, for me, sometimes it feels like that is who I am. 
one who worries. Right. So that is who you are, meaning that this is really part of you, part of your personality, right? Yes, exactly. It often feels like that with our habits. When we develop certain habits, we just feel that those habits become part of us. And that feels like that because they create pathways in your brain and they are really then a part of us because they shaped our brain. So often smokers, for example, feel that smoking is part of them. And yet we know for sure that no baby is born and first thing that it says, give me a cigarette. (laughs) So at certain points, it wasn't part of them. And yet they feel that smoking is part of them. It's similar with habits. And worrying is very, very widespread. It's one of the most widely spread habits. But it's just a habit. Habit that um, we believe started from kind of a quirk of our mental mechanism that is very useful, which is trying to predict what is happening or what will happen and find a solution for that. However, sometimes when the emotions take over, that mechanism doesn't work well, doesn't end with the desired result, which would be finding a solution that just goes round and round as that proverbial broken record. And it's very often not helpful at all. Yet, we keep worrying. And this is so fascinating about worries. We keep worrying, even if it's not pleasant and even if it's not useful. You mentioned that it's part of you. But I just wonder if you look inside yourself and just try to find what makes you, what what is that that is pushing you to worry? Sometimes uh, I think... Because I'm I'm an extremely caring person by default. Right. Okay. So the most worries that I have are about my loved ones. Right. About other people. About other people. If they're going to be okay, if they're going to be good. If they're going to be happy. And right. that is the biggest reason yes. for my worries. And that's very noble and that's very nice. But may I ask you, do you think that caring and worrying are the same thing? No, I don't. But what I think is that caring person is worrying person. Right. So even when, if you understand... When you love someone, you need to worry. Right, right. And even if you realize that caring and worrying is, are not the same, it still seems that part of you believes that you need to worry and show that you worry because that means that you care. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yes. Exactly like that. And yet, is that really justified? I mean, would it be possible to care without worrying? Uh, no, it's not justified. And I know that it's not justified. But like I said, uh, sometimes it feels like worrying is stronger than me. Yes. So you know that, that, that these things are not the same and that you can care for people without necessarily excessively worrying. And yet that link between caring and worrying was created sometimes in, in the past. And now you find difficult to break that link, even if your mind is telling you that these two are not the same. Yes, and sometimes uh, it's overwhelming for me. And as with other habits, uh, this habit is not easy to break. 
you know, like with smoking, for example, or drinking or whatever else. But with some practice, it is possible to break. The good starting point is just to be absolutely clear that caring and worrying are not the same thing. And we know that in the English language, for example, sometimes we can confuse and use worrying and caring in positive sentences, like saying, oh, I care for something, I worry about something. It may seem, may look that these two overlap to some extent. But if, when you use these words in negative sentences, it is very clear that they are different. So, for example, if I say I don't care about somebody, that means a very different thing than saying I don't worry about that person. So, whenever you try to think about worrying as synonym for caring, try to remember that these statements, particularly when you use in negative sentences, have very, very different flavor, very different meaning in everyday language. That could be a good starting point to start changing that habit. Before we move on, I just want to mention that there are also other reasons why people worry a lot, particularly those habitual warriors. One of the reasons is closely related to desire to maintain control. So it can be motivated by belief that mental suffering will somehow affect the outcome. Very often, people worry because they have some kind of almost a superstition that if I worry about that plane crashing, it's less likely to crash. Do you have such beliefs that somehow your worrying, actually your, your, your mental suffering increases the like, likelihood of the positive outcome? No. <laughs> Interestingly, no. no. Uh, yeah. Someone told me when I was a kid, if you're afraid of that something uh, will happen, it will happen. Right. So, <laughs> so I so, yeah. remember, remember <laughs> that <laughs> from, from, my, from my younger days. So when I'm worrying, I'm worrying in different way. Right, 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 right. So let me just examine something else that may be the reason for your excessive worrying. Do you very often say to people that you care about them that you do? Uh, no. Because sometimes we have a very warm, nice, positive, good feelings of love, care, compassion, and so on for other people. But those feelings, our emotional reactions, cannot find the outlet. We live in a culture where saying to other people, to let's say a friend, oh, I love you, I care about you, and something like that, is not common. This is not what we often do or say. So these feelings and these emotional reactions, even if they're positive, they get bottled up. So they find outlet in worrying. So we don't know what to do with them. And then we say, oh, I can then worry about that person. And that's how I can spend that kind of energy of feelings and emotions that I have towards that person. It's somehow worrying seems to be more acceptable than caring. So one thing that I may suggest is to actually start talking more about your care for others. And that in itself may reduce your worrying. Will you try something like that? I will try. Okay, so who will be the next person you will say that you care for them? My parents. Okay, lovely. Great. Okay, let's now see what else can reduce your worrying. You said that you worry a lot. So, Bobby, are you doing anything about that? Do you know any ways of reducing worrying? No, I don't. I, I've tried various things to think about something else, to divert my thoughts to a different topic. 
<laughs> that <laughs> even to find even to find uh, some other concern, smaller concern, right? <laughs> to worry, but nothing has helped. Yeah, yeah. The distractions uh, sometimes help, but very often they don't. <laughs> yeah. And I think that our listeners are familiar with that. We often try to think about something else, and we do indeed start thinking about something else. And then very quickly, we realize that somehow we are thinking about what we worry about again, without even noticing. On our website, we have a few suggestions how we can reduce worrying. Let's try these suggestions for an example, worrying about something that relates to you, not to other people, but to you. Just for the sake of simplicity. So give us an example of what you worry about that example, relates to yourself. The first thing that comes to my mind is yeah. that last week I had some vertigo, terrible vertigo. Uh-huh. So I was worried. I'm rare, rarely worried about myself, but I was. Right, right. So you're worried about your health. Yes, yes. What would be the worst thing that comes to your mind in relation to that? I'm always afraid that I'm going to lose my memories or to change in some way. Right, to lose yourself. Yes, to to change my personality in some way. Because I, uh, except this worrying, a couple of small things, I really like what I became. Right. Who I am. So you like yourself, but you you think that uh, some kind of brain disorder or something like that may cause you losing yourself. Yes. And it's very interesting because actually, in this case, worrying is more likely to contribute to losing yourself than to contribute to not losing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Paradox. (laughs) It's paradox paradox because, as you know, you're far too young for dementia or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's possible to get maybe stroke or something like that. And these things are more likely to happen if you worry excessively, if you are under um, a big stress because it increases the pressure in your brain and so on. Let me just give you a couple of suggestions what you can do in these situations. Obviously, the most important thing is actually to do something about that. Have you you done something about that, something constructive, like, for example, arranging an appointment with your doctor or something like that? No. I suggest next time, if something like that happens, so you said it lasted three, four days. Yeah. I suggest that while it's still going on, to try to book an appointment with your doctor to check uh, what's all about. Or if not that, at least check online if there is a reason to see your doctor if you have a vertigo for three or four days. Just to feel that you are in charge, that you can do something about that. Very often, worrying is frustrating and the intensity of worrying increases, as I said earlier on, because we feel that nothing we can do about it. Once you make certain steps that are put in place to deal with the situation, if things get worse, that can in itself reduce worrying a lot. The other thing that can be helpful in these situations is to write down what you worry about. Write your worry on a small piece of paper, and then when you finish, just make a ball of that paper and throw into bin. Now, this may sound funny, but actually the research supports the notion that physically throwing that piece of paper can have additional beneficial effects of reducing your worry. 
And you can also use your imagination. I did that with a, a class of young people and asked him to write down on a piece of paper all the worries. And then we brought some balloons and I asked them to attach their worries to those balloons, let them fly through the window. You don't need to do that to go <laughs> to a shop and buy a balloon, but you can imagine yeah. that you, your worries are flying away, something like that. Now, this may help with transient worries, like that thing that you had a few days ago. But some of us worry all the time, and you seem to be one of those people who worry all the time about anything and everything. The following intervention can be very helpful if you worry habitually. You know that just saying to yourself, oh, don't worry about that, doesn't help, right? Yes. And that's because in order to... Remember not to worry about something, you need to think about that. The same thing, if I ask you now to not to think about a carrot, you most likely will be thinking about a carrot because if not to think about that, you need to first think about that. But what we can do instead, actually something that may seem counterintuitive, which is designating your time for worrying. So what I suggest to do for a week and see if it would make any difference is to designate half an hour a day for worrying. And that has to be a specific time, let's say between 7 and 7.30 in the evening. Okay. So then, if you start worrying about anything at any other time, just say to yourself, I will worry about that between 7 and 7.30. Now, when the time comes, go on, but don't force yourself to worry. You may realize that actually there is nothing to worry about. Uh, many people in the courses that we run found that when the time comes, they actually didn't have much to worry about. And that exercise was very effective to reduce their overall worrying. So try that for a few days. Just whenever you have a worrying thoughts, just say, okay, I will worry about that between 7 and 7.30 or any other time that is convenient for you. And then when the time comes, depending how you feel, you can actually then spend half an hour worrying or maybe writing that on a on, um, piece of paper as I suggested earlier, or focusing on your worrying, or allow yourself to worry as much as you want. Or you may say, well, there is nothing really to worry about and move on with your life. Okay, let's talk now a little bit about optimism and pessimism. So tell me, Bobby, if you're an optimist or a pessimist. I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. I okay. I'm, I'm, I'm more a realist. <laughs> right. And, and it's rare for me to stray into excessive optimism or pessimism. Right, yeah. right, right. It's, it's, a, it's like my brain doesn't allow uh, for such a thing. And more interestingly, this seems to contradict what people perceive in me. Well, they think that uh, as a person as I am, that I'm optimistic person. Right. But I'm not. In my core, I'm a realist. And how would you describe realism? What does it mean, really? It means uh, that... I see every situation realistically. I cannot say eh, it will be okay if I'm right. seeing that it will not. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting because uh, all of these categories, optimism, pessimism, and realism, has good sides and bad sides. So uh, psychologists very often argue which one is better, being realistic, being optimistic or pessimistic. But in fact, the best way forward in this respect is to try to separate good sides and bad sides of all these three 
and put together good sides of all these three and get rid of bad sides of all these three. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So we are not like saying that one of these three is best or better than others. What we're saying here that all these three have some sort of good sides that we will try to combine and get rid of their bad sides. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Okay, so let me just clarify what I mean by good and bad side of each of them. The good side of optimism is it can bring some kind of enthusiasm. It gives you extra energy to act and to do something about that situation and to bring the situation to some sort of positive conclusion and also to be creative and to reduce worrying. However, optimism can have the opposite effect sometimes. If you think that everything will be fine or believing in good luck, you may not put enough effort to deal with that situation. So students, for example, who are overly optimistic, they usually don't prepare well for exams and they get disappointed because those one or two questions that we prepared uh, didn't turn up. The same thing with pessimism. The good side of pessimism, that that kind of anxiety that pessimism brings, also brings extra energy and help you to prepare for whatever obstacles or whatever challenges you may face in completing a certain task or doing something. But of course, believing in bad luck is not very helpful because it can be paralyzed. Regarding realism, realism seems to be good in terms of matching well your anticipation and reality. However, kind of is a bit dull. It doesn't bring that extra energy that optimism and pessimism bring. So we suggest combine these things by being aware of what can go wrong in your mind, in your head, if you like, being aware and consider what what can go wrong and prepare for that and believing that even if something goes wrong, you will be able to deal with that. So good optimism is not about saying, oh, everything will be okay, but saying, I'll be able to deal with whatever is going to happen. In other words, to put it in one sentence, prepare for the worst, and hope for the best. Prepare with your mind and hope with your heart. That's a great sentence. Okay, I think we can end at this point. Okay, thank at, you, Nash. This optimistic point. An optimistic <laughs> point, yeah. And with a great sentence, I must say. Thank great. you. Thank you, Nash. This was very helpful especially for me and I hope for our listeners too. I want to say to our listeners that everything they want to read about worrying, optimism, pessimism, realism, they can find on our website, personalsynthesis.com. And I, I want to say that if they have any question, they can write us in and we will be more than happy to answer their questions. We'll compile your comments and questions and then depending how many of them we have, we may have a special episode that would uh, consist of uh, reading your comments and replying to your questions and commenting on your comments. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank Thank you you. and see you soon again. Bye. See you again. Bye-bye.